Hello, my friends. Welcome. My name is Joe, and this is The Joe Martino Show. Today's episode, we're going to read some emails. If you've ever read a book of short stories where all of the short stories seem to be disconnected, and then at the end, they're all connected together, that's today's episode. That's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the voice in your head that tells you you're an imposter, that you're an outsider, and that you don't belong. It's a lie. It's a disease, and we need to treat it. Let's kick it off. This is The Joe Martino Show. You're listening to The Joe Martino Show, a podcast dealing with all things emotional, relational, and human nature. Joe is a licensed counselor in the state of Michigan, specializing in relationship therapy. He is also the author of the book, The Emotionally Secure Couple. All advice offered in this episode is offered for entertainment and educational purposes only. Enjoy the show. Okay, welcome back. Uh, If this is your first time, welcome for the first time. So we're back. School is in. Sports are being played with masks. There are protests about the sports being played. There are protests about the mask. There is more distress, more anxiety, more fatigue, more arguments. A presidential election is roughly 60-some-odd days away, 50-some-odd days away, and there is... All sorts of how can you be a decent human being and choose that person going on. So let's talk about that today. Maybe no. No? You don't think so? My son's shaking his head no. Uh, Actually, we are going to talk about it just for a second, but we're not going to talk about the election. We're going to talk about our responses to each other in this time. I do want to read an email or at least address an email. I got an email from someone who uh, is reading the book... um, Oh my goodness, Tara Westover's book. I just talked about it last week, Educated. Uh, I am uh, almost done with it. I'm listening and listening to it on Audible, and I'm almost completely done. I did take the second half of last week off uh, from listening to it, and I just listened to... Actually, I listened to some interviews, podcast-type stuff. Uh, but, but somebody wrote in, and actually I got quite a few people reaching out to me, but somebody wrote in and, and, and brought up their own past of abuse, how they read the book, and how one of the things that ran for them as an adult, one of the things that they discovered was how their abuse as a child affected them in an adult because they didn't really talk about it much as a child. And it wasn't like uh, his abuser was, was always abusing. And I think that's one of the misconceptions about abuse. If, if you haven't experienced it, um, first of all, that's good for you. Like, you should never feel bad about that. Uh, but there is some things that you probably don't understand about people who've gone through abuse. And one of those things is how much the abuse runs the narrative in the person's head when they become an adult. When an abused child becomes an adult... Often their radar is on all the time, right? Their radar for threats, their radar for potential abuse, but also how they resolve situations is on high alert. And and what's interesting, there's a fascinating correlation between the amount of abuse that a person takes or endures. I guess you don't really take it. You, you, You endure it. You survive it. And so the amount of abuse that a person survives and endures is directly correlated to if they don't process it when they become an adult, they'll often flip out over little things and over really big things, they'll be perfectly calm. 
Because one of the things that happens is our brain wires itself to find our constant state of being as normal. One of the things that your brain does, that my brain does, is it simply engages itself by wiring its neural pathways to find what you're constantly in as normal. And so for an abused person, at some point in their life, chaos becomes normal. And it's the lack of chaos where they actually feel the anxiety. And, and that's what this email, is a pretty long email, and I emailed back and forth with the person a little bit, told them I might uh, mention it. I didn't think I was going to read it, simply because I, I think it's a long read, and I'm not sure I would do it justice reading it into the, into the mic. But when you get to that place of chaos as normal, when you withdraw from it, and, and what happens is, is it then creates barriers for relationship intimacy when you are an adult because nobody wants to be in a constant state of chaos. Even the person who is, who finds himself most comfortable there, they don't want to be. It's actually one of the great cognitive dissonances that happens or one of the great aspects of cognitive dissonance that happens and one of the issues that drives people uh, who have survived abuse, it, it drives them to places that they don't typically want to go is they're caught in a paradox of, I don't want to constantly live in chaos, but when I'm not in chaos, I don't feel comfortable. And so this person wrote in, they're like, well, what do I do? And obviously I'm a big fan of talk therapy. It is what I do for a living. It's, it's, it's what, uh, you know, I, I found helpful in my own life. Uh, I've sent my children, uh, actually they wanted to go, but, but my kids have made that available to them. My wife's been available to them, her uh, and, and so as you know, we engage in these activities of processing through, but one of the things that I, I'm a big fan of is talk theory, but I'm also a big fan of just living where you're at. And one of the most difficult things is for people to recognize that their trauma is trauma, even people who have been abused. And one of the, one of the things that drives that is, is and, and this is in the book, Westover's book that the, the, the listener who emailed me referenced, you can love somebody and cut them out of your life. You can love somebody and not like who they are. You can love someone and recognize that they're toxic. You can love someone and not like their family. And, and one of the things for people in general is when we think about abused people, when we think about abusers, I, I call it the Disneyfication of our lives. We tend to Disneyfy our lives. The people who are good are all good and the people who are bad are all bad. For the vast majority of abuse survivors, that's not accurate. The person who did their abuse was also loving. The person who did their abuse, the person who abused them, the person who hurt them, the person who verbally attacked them, the person who put them through the emotional ringer, the person who physically beat them also loved them. And they often loved them. Sexual assault tends to be a little bit different, but even in there you can find this variable, even in that category. And, and so one of the things I was talking to a guy, I'll, I'll call him Nicholas. Uh, Nick and I were talking and he was talking about how his dad was abusive. And he said, and at the same time, one of my most uh, poignant memories is my dad teaching me how to do things. My dad showing up at my sporting events. My dad putting his arm around me and telling me he loved me. And yet my dad, when he would lose his temper, it was terrifying. And I lived in constant fear of my dad's temper going off until that chaos became normal. And then I learned to just listen for the nuance of my dad's temper to know if it was coming towards me or someone else.
And as Nick and I were talking, he told me, you know, when I became an adult, I didn't know how to respond when there was quiet, when there wasn't chaos, which which mirrored Nick's conversation with me, mirrored the uh, email that I got. And, and so I bring this up because I want you, the listeners, one of my goals with this show is that we talk about all the things that make us human. And, and one of the things that I want to talk about is one of the things that make us human is we can love people who hurt us. And and there was a shift, I don't know, maybe maybe early, mid-90s, where uh, people who, who wanted to talk about some deeper things about our, our mental processes, our emotional processes, one of the things that they did was they embraced the idea that we, get, we receive wounds from our parents, which is wonderful. It's good, it's true, and we should experience them. But then, I think because as a society, we tend, to, we tend to struggle with all or nothing thinking, we moved to this idea that because the wounds came from our parents, A, we were never going to give our kids, our kids any wounds, which is complete and utter hogwash. And then two, somehow we were, a, we were able to hold those wounds against our parents no matter what. And that isn't helpful. And I think in part it's because we have all or nothing thinking. I also think in part it's because we have the Disneyfication thinking process and which is all or nothing thinking a, a different way. And I think we misconstrue forgiveness and reconciliation. And to kind of tie all of that up with a nice little bow, we think that to love someone means we have to give them unfettered access to our lives or we have to give them access to our children's lives, or if they're related to someone we love, we have to do that. All of that is false. In fact, I got an email from Kelly, which says, Dear Joe, I appreciate the show. I've been a longtime listener. I have a question about the upcoming Labor Day. I'm going to assume she means upcoming Labor Day holiday. I have been married to Jacob for almost 12 years. We have three children together, and I love him with all my heart. That's awesome. But I feel like his mom is a very toxic woman. That's not so awesome. For the last two and a half years after getting counseling, we have not gone camping with them at all. Because of events out of our control, we will now be camping in the same campground over the Labor Day weekend, period. My husband doesn't think it's a big deal because we'll be at different sites. I am afraid it's going to be a very big deal because how long will it take them to realize where we're at and want to sit around the fire and then his mom will start? I don't like his mom and I feel guilty about that, but it goes beyond a personality thing to just the fact that I feel like she's toxic. She constantly complains, constantly nitpicks. She constantly pushes at him and pushes at me. She critiques how we parent. She doesn't like how we do anything. And I get tired of the negativity. Please help, Kelly. So Kelly, that sounds rough, but I wanna take you to the first part of this show. The fact that, especially if you think she's toxic and you have something besides your feelings to back that up, I think that's really important. Right? So if she's toxic, Jacob might be right. Here's the thing. What you need to do is you need to create... Everybody thinks I'm going to say boundaries at this moment. Uh, in fact, I was just talking to a, co- a client last night about how we get boundaries wrong because we think, we think about boundaries without ever thinking about expectations. And without expectations, we don't have boundaries to enforce. So what you actually need to do, Kelly, is you need to create expectations with your husband about what you're going to do when, when the parents do show up 
at your campsite, when they start criticizing you, if they start critiquing your children, if you feel it's reached the point where, okay, it needs to end, there needs to be some sort of body signal between the two of you uh, where somebody can then say to them, okay, we'd like you to leave now and ask them to leave. And it doesn't have to be a big deal. I imagine it probably will be. You'll probably have to endure some very uncomfortable moments with that. But the reality is you can't draw boundaries till you have expectations. So the two of you need to have expectations between the two of you about how you expect other people to interact with your family. And then you need to have a conversation about what do signals look like? How do we communicate to each other when we feel as though we've reached past that potential uh, a signal or, or that potential line? How do we signal each other when we've gone past that line? And this is really important. I'm not really bothered. I didn't read this part of the email. I tried to condense them a little bit, but but she talked about how she's concerned by the fact that she doesn't like her mother-in-law. One of the questions my wife asks our clients and even sometimes our friends all the time, just because you love your husband, just because you love your wife doesn't mean you have to like their family. Why do you think that? Why do you have to spend holidays with your family? In part, and here's the problem, it's an idea. So, so people want to spend time with their family, not because they actually enjoy the time, but because they like the idea of spending time with their family. They like the idea of camping with their family. So, so Kelly and Jacob, the idea w- would be ideal because there's grief involved now, right? There's a loss. There is a significant contributor to Jacob's life, a significant love uh, stream, if you will, in Jacob's life, his mother, who essentially, and, and she doesn't say this outright in the email, but it, it sounds as though he agrees with her, essentially is not a healthy person to be in their life. And now you've got to draw boundaries because of expectations, and expectations should be we're only going to allow people to speak into the lives of our children who are healthy for our children, not people who are toxic. And, and so as you embrace that, as you lean into that, There's going to be grief because you're going to now lose something. And there's going to be other people that talk about going camping with their mother-in-law. And and there's going to be memories. And the idea of what you had or were going to have isn't what you have. And if you don't recognize that, you can pretend and you can avoid the pain of grief, but you don't avoid the pain of the toxicity. I want to say that again. You avoid the pain of the grief of the loss, but you don't avoid the pain of the toxicity. And this is something I see regularly with people that I walk with. They're so invested in the idea of what they're going to get that they're not willing to recognize what they're not getting. And and this happens for people who have experienced abuse. This happens for people who haven't experienced abuse. Because as they lean into what they don't have or, or what they want, they have to recognize that they don't have it. And so the person leaning into... Like, okay, I was abused. Like, think about Nick or or the person who emailed me. When when they read books about other people's abuse, it stirs up in them their own sense of loss. Their own narrative begins to become, I'm the imposter. And, And Westover does an amazing job in her book about talking about how she doesn't Uh, feel, ever feel like she fits in. Everywhere she went in education, she felt like an imposter. Every place that she went with friends, she felt like an imposter. And this happens even when you're camping with your mother-in-law to your husband of 12 years, whom you love with all your heart. Part of the pushback is we're, we're going to lose something if we draw a boundary here, and we're going to have to admit that we lost it. And admitting that we lost it can cause us to think, to believe, 
to drive into, uh, there's something wrong with me. I'm the imposter. I'm the problem. It's not actually my mother-in-law. It's me, Kelly. I'm the problem. I'm the one who has the problem because Sue can get along with her mother-in-law and Catherine gets along with her mother-in-law and Erica gets along with her mother-in-law. Why don't I get along with my mother-in-law? It must be me. And, and this runs, this imposter, I'm the imposter runs for people who have been abused or haven't been abused often. But it definitely runs for people who've experienced trauma, especially trauma in the form of abuse. Uh, I got another email. I got a lot of emails this week. I got another email from someone who I can't read the email. I guess I could. I could skip that part. But they, they know someone who sees me. They both experienced similar trauma. They have parents who were highly critical of them, extremely critical, and, and, and wrote in and was like, I don't understand why this affects me the way it does. Here's essentially what she said. I don't understand why this affects me the way it does because this abuse, this verbal criticism from my parents, because it's not like they uh, sexually assaulted me, which is what happened to fill in the blank, my friend. Uh, you know, she was sexually assaulted, so I understand her struggling with the trauma, but I wasn't. That's comparative grief. It doesn't work. It, it actually works against you. And, and often as, as we lean into this, people are like, well, it must be me because other people had these things happen and they're okay. Now, I've talked before how much I hate this phrase, well, this happened to me and I'm okay. I hate the phrase, well, this happened to them and they're okay and I'm not okay, so I must be screwed up. I hate that even more than I hate the, well, I was spanked and I turned out okay phrase. Because that's comparative grief and it doesn't work. So Kelly, tell, tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that you told you, you and your husband came up with some sort of plan for Labor Day. If you didn't, the next time something like that happens, do that, come up with a plan, create expectations. To, to, to the other people out there who are like, you know what, I'm the one that screwed up. I want you to change your expectation to maybe you're okay. Wait, Joe, you just said you hate that. Well, right, because here's the thing. Maybe you're okay because you recognize that there's things you need to work on and you're working on them. Instead of just dismissing, well, I was spanked and I turned out okay, or, well, my parents were highly emotionally and verbally abusive, but I wasn't sexually assaulted, and, and she was sexually assaulted, and she's, quote, okay, end quote, so I'm not. What if we're all just okay as long as we're doing some basic things, like we're being kind, we're not intentionally hurting other people. When we're not kind or we do intentionally hurt someone, we go and we apologize and we make it right and here's the next step and we go to the step to not hurt people. In other words, maybe we go get counseling and we learn about how do I do this better. Maybe we go get counseling, we talk through things, but but we we work to improve our interactions with other people. One of the things that that constantly runs in people's head is I'm the screw up. And the problem is what we've done with this all or nothing thinking and Disneyfication is is we move from I'm the screw up to I'm okay no matter what I do. Neither extreme is good. And so as, as I try to, I'm going to wrap this up now. One of the things that I want you to think about is what do, all the, what do all of these different thought processes today have to do with each other? If you're listening to this somewhere in your life, you think you are an imposter, that you don't belong. You probably are not an imposter. You probably do belong. I'm actually thinking of, of someone, I don't have their permission to share their story. And to be honest with you, I'm not even sure how I would, but Someone I know, a colleague who experienced abuse as a child, grew up in a very authoritarian system. 
uh, soothed with food and then soothed with control of food, so, so weight swings. And, and one of the things, as I, I was able to walk part of, part of that person's journey with them, one of the things that struck me all the time was, in fact, this person was an intern, so one of the things that struck me when, when, when she was an intern was, I don't actually need to teach her how to be a counselor. I do need to teach her that. That's part of the, my responsibility as, as an intern, or as an intern supervisor. But what I really need to do is I need to create a break in her internal voice with my voice that you're okay. You're going to be a fine therapist. More importantly, you're a good human being. And you have your rough edges. You have your flaws. You have your faults. But you want to do the right thing. And more often than not, you do. And you're okay. And, and all of the different scenarios that I talked about today, whether it is a person who's experienced abuse from someone who was also loving, because that really messes with your head. Because, wait, I love this person, but if they're in my life, they're toxic and they hurt me. Whether it's my father who abused me, that's Nick, or it's Kelly and it's Jacob's mom, who Jacob I love. I got another email from someone who was like, I love my in-laws more than I love my mom and dad because my in-laws have just poured into me the last 15 years. And my mom and dad have been critical of me my whole life uh, and mean. And now they're coming to my kids' sporting events and I want to just talk to my in-laws, not my parents. Is that okay? Absolutely. I mean, be polite, but absolutely. You don't, but then she's going to yell at me. Yep, she probably will. But it's not what she's doing. It's the voice in your head telling you that you're not enough, that you're the imposter, that you're the problem, that you have to go after, that you have to chase after, that you, my dear friend listening, you have to go after that voice. If you choose to put your kids into hybrid school this year, good for you. If you choose to homeschool your kids this year, good for you. If you choose to send your kids to school full-time, good for you. That voice in your head that says you're screwing it up, that you're an imposter, that's the voice you have to hunt down like a rabid dog and treat. How do you, it, do they have treatments for rabies for dogs? I don't even know. But you need to hunt it down and you need to treat it. The voice that says you're screwing it up, that somehow you're the problem, that it's your fault, that's the voice you have to hunt down. And it could take years. This past weekend, I was working on a home project. And there was something that went sideways that I didn't understand. There was an extra grounding wire. I don't even know where it came from. And I was driving to the hardware store because I needed to get some electrical tape. And, and I realized, you know what? There isn't an ounce of anger in me, which was a new thing. Now, for years, or I'm talking 12, 13, 14 years, I would get angry. And most of the time, I wouldn't express it because I was able to talk myself through it. Wait, this isn't like, because the voice in my head would say, well, this is your fault. Somehow, if you were more skilled at this, you would know what you were doing. If, if you were more handy, you would know what you were doing. This time, it was just a problem to solve. And I don't know what will happen because there's still plenty of projects to do. The next project I do and something goes wrong. But I can tell you it has been years in the discipline of talking myself through it to where my automated response changed because change is slow. But I'm telling you, please hear this. Drawing boundaries, having expectations... That doesn't make you an imposter. Surviving abuse, that doesn't make you an imposter. Uh, I, I was talking to a teenage girl, well, yeah, 19's a teenager, who was telling me about her high school and middle school experience, and she had toxic friends who were, 
who were really into building themselves up by tearing her down. And she said something to the effect of, I just came to the place where I had to make a decision that they weren't going to run my life, but I felt like that made me an outsider in ways that I can't explain to you. And I told her, I said, that feeling is universal to the human experience. It's a lie, and we have to hunt it down, and we have to treat it. All right, uh, lots of things coming up. We are in the fall. I'm still working on the men's mentorship program, which we're hoping to launch in the spring after COVID. We're working on some more marriage retreats type ideas. Uh, so we were going to have a full-on marriage conference this past spring. Uh, ones we've done in the past, we've done numerous ones of them. So we're still going to offer them moving forward, but we're also going to offer exclusive marriage retreats. So one couple for a weekend, uh, up to four couples for a weekend, and then the group experience as well. Uh, different outcomes, different price points, etc. Also, uh, if you have not yet picked up a copy of my book, The Emotionally Secure Couple, we are into fall, which is a great time to read. Uh, feel free to pick one up wherever books are sold. You can also get it on Kindle. And we are working on the possibility of an audio version of the book if you prefer that. Got a topic you want me to talk about? Please feel free to email me, joe at joemartino.com. Email me at joe at joemartino.com. Put podcast in the subject line, please. Thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you next week. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's show, please share with a friend. And hey, give us that rating in your podcast store. Until next time, change possible.